welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. Today we have Ingo and Timo from Kilt Protocol. Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves and Kilt? Uh, Ingo, you can go first. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ingo. I'm uh, basically I'm a computer scientist. I studied uh, computer science in Berlin. <coughs> uh, went into the industry in the 90s of the last centuries. Actually, was working a lot in publishing. Uh, was uh, the last job I had was actually CTO of Burda, which is uh, Burda is one of the biggest publishers in Germany. And uh, I came around blockchain in 2016, actually. Uh, noticing that uh, this is going to develop something which we could call Web 3.0. And um, I went to the group board of Berlin and said, okay, uh, as a publisher, you have not been really successful, or we have not been really successful uh, in the Web 2.0. And that the reason for that could be probably that we just waited for the technology to finish and then adopted our old business model, which was printing newspapers to the new technology and make newspapers in the internet. And if something new comes up like the Web 3.0, I think it's a new chance for us to get involved there pretty early. And uh, they said, okay, uh, we should be involved there pretty early and we'll set up a company. If you like, you can be the CEO. And this, I, and this is how I got to Kilt. And Timo? Uh, yeah, my name is Timo. Um, my background is also um, as a computer scientist. Um, I um, was mainly um, a web, web developer, full stack, and did uh, web applications um, also uh, for Boulder, where I met Ingo. <coughs> Ingo then introduced me to blockchain and uh, sparked an interest there. Um, and when we were, were talking a little about Kilt, uh, we formed this, I guess, together. So I was uh, one of the first uh, on this company. Yeah, right now I'm the technical lead, uh, and I was uh, building. Uh, the SDK, the first uh, testnet, um, our demo client, simple services. Great. So when we started, before we even started recording here, I made an error and asked you about identity, and uh, which is the first thing that came to mind when I saw your website, uh, so or your project. But you immediately said it's much bigger than identity. Identity is just a use case of your protocol. So can you talk about your protocol from a very generic standpoint and what you're trying to build? When, when you look at, um, well, actually we came from the idea uh, that we need something uh, like identity on the protocol level. Uh, but uh, coming from protocol level, you see pretty early actually that identity is something which cannot really be solved or should not be solved on the protocol level. And people who are doing that um, are actually building applications on protocol level. <laughs> this is probably, this is actually not what we wanted to do. So uh, when we started the company, we uh, first built up a team of computer scientists, mathematicians, uh, philosophers, and uh, legal people, and uh, so all kinds of people, and started to think about uh, the implications of identity. And the first thing which came out is that it's actually not a good idea to think about identity because when I say I'm Ingo, then this is obviously part of my identity. But if the glass in front of me says it is half full, uh, then it's obviously not a part of its identity. 
So um, what we're talking about is actually attributes of things and attributes of people and attributes of organizations. And uh, we need, uh, when you go to protocol level, you always have to take a step back because you have to build something which is useful for as many use cases as possible. Uh, this is why we came to the notion that actually we're not talking about identity, we're talking about attributes of entities. And uh, the way to do that, if you see the standardization processes around you, uh, like what the W3C is doing uh, with uh, verifiable credentials, is uh, the solution on protocol level should be, <clears throat> in our opinion, that entities, claiming entities, should be able to claim attributes and that attesting entities should be able to certify those attributes and then um, put them in the position in the possession of the claimer. This is actually what we call uh, what we do in Kill Protocol. So you can use that for many many use cases, and identity is definitely one of them. So before talking about the future, how does this work now, both offline and online? So if I want to make a claim about something uh, in the in the outside world, uh, offline, how how would this process happen? And then same online, like if I want to say. Uh, you know, this is my account, I want to log in. How, how are those handled now and how will it change with Kilt? Um, I mean, right now we have different uh, approaches to certification, SSO logins, um, uh, with uh, you know, different methods, Google Auth, uh, we have uh, OpenAuth, um, different uh, ways of logging into to things. We have different certification systems. What we are trying to achieve is um, to have a general approach uh, to, to, to claiming something and getting an attestation which is uh, verifiable in the end. Um, and how we do this is um, we are thinking about um, the entity who is doing a claim. So it's starting from this, from this point of view. Right? Uh, the claimer, the entity who wants to have something attested, starts first always. Uh, you don't get something, you start and say, I want, I'm a user of this platform, I have a login, and first this is maybe a false claim. But then you go uh, to a website, for example, and then um, show maybe your other credentials, show something they need um, to, to uh, sign you up, and you will get to this claim that you are a user of this platform and it's set an attestation, a certification in, in the end, uh, which says, yes, you, you do have uh, this access. The websites can verify this claim be because uh, we have a schema inside and the schema might be standardized uh, for at least this website, maybe more, maybe you want to do build a more open SSO. So many uh, websites could um, come together and find a schema which works for everyone. So I can claim I'm, I'm a user of Google, for example, <laughs> and they will just give you an attestation for that. And everyone who is okay with such a login uh, can accept this too. So yeah, I'm claiming something and I go somewhere to get an attestation and they give me this attestation. This all works first um, on a peer-to-peer -peer basis. Uh, so, um, not only over peer-to-peer uh, -peer networks, could be Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. Um, QR, QR codes, email, WhatsApp, whatever. We are only flagging uh, the attestation on the chain. And this is killed. This is not. Yeah, this is. I'm trying to distinguish how it worked uh, before, just so we have some foundation for moving forward. 
So when you look at uh, how the Web 2.0, when you differentiate the Web 2.0 and the Web 3.0, which is uh, where we were part of, uh, it's, uh, the basic difference is uh, that in the Web 2.0, you go to a service and you give them a username and a password. And uh, if the username isn't taken yet and the password is long enough, uh, then you will be signed in. And this actually generates three big problems. Uh, the first problem is that it's actually a shared secret, right? So you, you know the username and the password and the service knows the username of the password and that's uh, not a nice feeling. Uh, a second problem is that if uh, this, uh, uh, this service is somehow successful, they will accumulate a lot of usernames and passwords. And as they do this, uh, they become a very good target for hackers actually, because the hackers only have to break into the system once and they get millions and millions of usernames and password communication, <coughs> combinations. And the third problem, which generates is a more uh, economic one, uh, if a service is really successful, uh, then this service automatically in the Internet 2.0 becomes a monopoly. Uh, so just try to imagine you have a better idea for an Airbnb and uh, you go uh, to your venture capitalist uh, and you say, okay, I have a better idea for an Airbnb. The venture capitalist will probably say, okay, we won't give you money because there's already Airbnb and they have the whole market, how will you get across them? So, Actually, this is hindering innovation, and uh, this is a huge problem. And um, what we try to establish is a technological foundation where services can decide not to use the username and login procedure, but to use a credential procedure. So I claim that I'm a user, as Timo said, of this platform, and the platform says, okay, I trust you, and this is the credential, and the credential goes into the possession of the claimer, so it is my data. And I choose who I show this data to, and the attester actually just gave me the attestation. So, of course, the attester can keep whatever I told the attester about me, but this is subject to... Uh, in the end, uh, GDPR, right? So uh, he can only take he can only take this if uh, he handles the data in a way that is appropriate. But that's only in Europe, also. <laughs> that's only in Europe, but uh, I think GDPR is something which uh, may be the first thing in the last hundred years which comes from Europe and will spread the world actually. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean. Back to your question, how it is now, this is this is different, difficult to answer for us um, because we are not targeting one use case, right? We are targeting a lot of use cases. So how is this done now? It's com it's completely different for multiple use cases. You can make basic auth. You, you you maybe you have username, password with a login and sign up for for claims like um, in in logistics where I say um, uh, this this product was always cold while going through all these stations. This is different. This is handled completely differently, right? I mean, some have trackers, some have some ideas, some scans QR codes, some have a central server who does it. And we would, uh, our, our technology helps um, that you always just have this claim at the station, right? I mean, the product claims I was called and everyone at the station does a test it. Yeah, uh, this was right. So um, it's hard to say how it was now and how we solve one use case now because we are very broad in this sector. Yeah, it's very generic. Um, yeah. But I guess if we focus just on online things like sign-ins, how, how easy is it to fake an authentication? authentication? Yeah, I mean, um, right now you have, to, you have different attack vectors, right? Um, first you have these databases uh, which are hacked 
where people might either get username and plain text password in the worst case or uh, they have these lists of, of hashes and maybe they're not salted uh, and then uh, you, you just have to brute force it a little bit or, or, or have a rainbow table or something and figure this out. Or I mean most people are using just uh, weak passwords, right? So you, you just brute force it. I mean um, this is also possible. People leak passwords, maybe there's another browser extension which just listens to password input fields and just scans it. Uh, using the same password is another for, for using the same, same password is a thing a lot of people do. Um, so the, there are different attack vectors right right now when, when you're just talking about logins and, and sign up procedures. So how does Kilt approach this? Like I'm assuming there's some private key where you hold all of the information, uh, but what happens if you lose this key or what happens if this key gets leaked? Are you kind of exposed everywhere or how do you recover from that? For the recovering of a key, um, we, we don't have an exact um, proposition right now. All the attestations are revocable on chain, um, so we might have to go and uh, revoke everything which was done for your ID. Uh, maybe you have to publish your public identity uh, to like a like a list where you say, okay, this is this is not working anymore, right? I mean, if it was stolen and you still have access, you can you can put it. On, on a list maybe. But there's many things actually you shouldn't solve on the protocol level. So uh, for example, uh, it's a good question. So what, what's, what happens if I have my wallet full of credentials and I lose uh, the key? Um, this is something which will be handled on the application level actually because we're not building the wallet. <laughs> we're, just building, we're just building the infrastructure so that other people can build the wallet. And uh, of course, that's another question is, how do I log into my wallet? So how can I make it secure? So is there, will I use uh, my fingerprint or iris scan or will I have, so this is all application level. We don't really, we, we can't say how to do that because many people will, or for many use cases, you will have different levels of security and uh, needs of security. So if we propose uh, you have to do this and this and this way, uh, that would be wrong, right? So uh, what, what we do is we uh, just, give the infrastructure for building the credentials, for, build, for, for receiving the credentials, but in the end, if you store your credential in your wallet and then you lose your wallet, or if you store your credential in a maybe uh, um, somehow sharded or, um, or encrypted way uh, on a central service which will pop up, uh, or if you just put it on Dropbox, we don't know. <laughs> so, and, and we can't decide, and we shouldn't decide actually to become as open as possible. Yeah, I mean, what we hope is that um, the users will mostly manage this by, by themselves, right? Or, or use services which which are um, not meant to hold a single honeypot of all their claims and credentials of everyone, right? So, I mean, um, when we are talking with other management partners, we will, we will focus on, on, on that. So, that is distributed, easy accessible by the user, but also secure, yeah. So what kind of interface does this protocol expose? We have um, basically um, our substrate-based runtime, right? So this is, uh, this is a node running, which handles um, uh, our so-called C-types, which are our data types, our shared schema, so to speak. Uh, maybe we'll speak about that later again. Uh, this has to do with that we want um, 
similar use cases to use the same schema so that the app developers can just attend to just a few schemas instead of every schema from every company coming up with like a coupon or something. Um, we handle the attestations, so revocation of attestations, right, and also flagging of attestation because we want to use it for incentivization. And also for our um, for one of our trust mechanisms, uh, which is more like a top-down hierarchy uh, where you can uh, give other users the right to attest in your name. Right, so this is our node. Um, this is a distributed software, right? Um, and then we have defined different kind of um, objects definitions um, uh, based on JSON schema and other technologies. So everyone speaks the same language, right? So a claim always looks the same and an attestation object looks the same. And you can um, send this to each other. Right. For that to work, we build an SDK in JavaScript and TypeScript. I mean, it's TypeScript compiled to JavaScript. And this handles all these objects. You can either use it uh, with the simple objects, just like the barebone protocol, <coughs> or you can use all our helper functions and our classes and initiate them uh, with your data and use it like this. Yeah, I asked because we're talking about the application so generic. So uh, for application developers, what do they see when they're interacting with Kilt? Actually, what they see is a JavaScript SDK, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think this is, and we did this on purpose. Uh, it's, uh, we come from industry, and we know that adoption is and, and uh, uh, getting some track uh, is uh, is the most important things. Uh, one of the most important things to blockchain protocols. Actually, we've seen a lot of things which really don't get any traction uh, because they are too complicated and uh, are not adopted by industry because there's. Uh, just two little developers who are skilled to do blockchain protocols. So what we wanted to deliver uh, is something which is so easy to use that a normal web developer could be successful in building applications on top of that and that the web developer doesn't need uh, to have a degree in mathematics and that the uh, web developer doesn't need to know basically how a blockchain works. So this was, the, uh, this was our, uh, our starting point. And uh, so what we built is a very simple to use uh, a JavaScript SDK. And on top of that, we built a demo client, which uh, actually represents all the functionality that, uh, that the Kill protocol has with no particular use case just to play around. But uh, developers can take this apart and use parts of that uh, and reuse parts of that for their uh, development so that they don't miss out on anything and stuff like that. So it makes it really easy for, for a developer uh, to be successful and uh, rapid prototype something. And uh, I think this, this, is, uh, this is not unique, but this is not usual in the blockchain world. Uh, but as we see a lot of industrial use cases, actually we want to enable those people to be successful very easily. Yeah, and some recent conversations about consensus, I, well, I feel like in the greater blockchain space, consensus always comes up to, as being defined by something about the blockchain itself. Um, but the traditional definition of consensus is actually making a network of computers appear as a single computer. And so kind of my vision for some of these developer tooling systems is that an application developer might not even know that they're using blockchain. They just say, I want to launch on this kind exactly. of platform, exactly. and that's this cool. is the yeah. interface that yeah. I have. That's, that's kind of, yeah. That's completely exactly. right. <laughs> that's, I think that's a little ways away, but that's what we're going for. Um, so 
I know in Kilt you have these actors, the attesters, the verifiers, and the claimers. Can you talk about these roles, and, or did I miss some if there are more? Um, what is each one trying to do? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, that's uh, no, you didn't miss one. <laughs> that's that's the three roles. Um, so the the claimer basically is uh, the entity which claims an attribute. Uh, the attester is the uh, is the trusted entity which certifies that attribute, and the verifier is the entity which receives the certified attribute from the claimer and trusts the trusted entity so that it can act in the way that the claimer actually wants that. So that's that's the basic idea behind that. Um, there's one more idea. The attester is the one who does the certification. Doing a certification is always work. So when I lose my uh, university diploma and I go back to the Technical University of Berlin and say I lost it but I need it, uh, so please can you reprint it for me, uh, they will charge me like 50 euros because they have to go down somewhere and uh, look in a database and print it and hand it over to me. So this is work. Uh, so attestation is always work. If it's no work then it's completely useless because then the attestation is worthless. So uh, we think that attesters have to be rewarded for doing work and we want the claimers to pay for that. So just when I go to the university and want my diploma again, I have to pay. This is a normal, uh, a normal case. And uh, this, uh, this is why we call the whole thing a trust market, because the attester has the trust of a lot of verifiers in the best case. So The TU Berlin has a lot of trust with uh, employers, obviously, so when I go with my uh, university diploma, I will get more money than without. So, um, and and uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of employers worldwide will trust this certificate they can give. So it's, something, it's worth, worth something to attest that. So we want to build up a market, a, a business model for people or for organizations which already have trust to market this trust to claimers because claimers want their certifications or want their certificates and they go to those specific attesters because they have a lot of trust with the verifiers. That's the basic idea of a trust market. And we have some really cute examples already uh, from uh, projects we work in where we found attesters which, or they found us basically, uh, which have a lot of trust out there in the population but never had an idea how to monetize this trust. And with Kilt the first time they have the possibility to charge uh, organizations for their certificates, which is really cool. So um, I think this, this is a market which, which works and I think this is another adoption thing. Uh, industry only starts adopting technology if they have a business case. This is something we noticed over the last 20 years. So uh, if, so if, if we go uh, out and promote a kilt, we always go to those people who actually have a chance to earn money that they didn't earn before with the system. And this is, uh, this is what makes it interesting. And this is how we will grow adoption. So can you give some examples of who would be an attester? Yeah, so I, I have a very cute one, which is the, um, The project is about uh, a distributed registry for, for food ingredients and uh, we have uh, attesters involved there and those attesters are uh, uh, companies or organizations or associations uh, which 
have some trust in the population. For example, they are, uh, have a lot of trust with allergics or they have a lot of trust with vegan regions or they have a lot of trust with vegetarians because they are the vegetarian organization or whatever. And they build up this trust for uh, quite a while and uh, so the, the population will trust them. But uh, how do they monetize that trust? Uh, probably not with setting up a website and doing some Google uh, advertisements on that. So uh, what they can do now with Kilt is that they go to the food producers, uh, the big ones basically, and uh, tell them, okay, we have the knowledge to certify that there's definitely no hazelnut in this product. If you want us, we can certify, we can test it. Of course, there, there needs to be a test. We can test it and then we can certify that for you. And we put this on the Kill blockchain. And then we have publishers in this project. And those publishers run um, recipe foods, uh, food recipe sites like uh, and, and, and apps. So, what do I cook tonight and stuff like that. And they build filters where the user can actually say I'm allergic against hazelnuts and my wife is against uh, allergic against apples and I actually want to be a little bit more healthy so please do uh, only low fat stuff uh, for me and then uh, we both decided that we uh, don't want to eat too much sugar anymore and stuff like that so you can put a lot of filters in there and uh, the uh, those sites will then when they build recipes up from food ingredients they will check the food ingredients against the killed data and against the killed blockchain and if they have certificate if they don't have certificates by those trusted organizations like the regional organization or the allergic organization or the whatever organization uh, they will not show those things if they don't have the certificates so there's a pressure on the food producers to get the certificates from the uh, from those uh, certifying entities which are uh, mostly uh, common good organizations, so they're, they're non-profit non -non organizations. Um, and those non-profit organizations will start to have a business model with that. So um, here you see how far it is actually from identity. <laughs> yeah, so if I can try to repeat what you said to make sure I understand that this doesn't really, it doesn't change the point of trust. You're still trusting this attester, exactly. but it, it changes the forgery market. So. Like the idea behind a trademark is that you can trust that what you're getting is legitimate. Like if, I, if my computer says Dell on it, Dell has a trademark and so I know my computer came from Dell. But that costs a lot of money and say legal or research teams to go find companies who are putting your stamp on their thing without your approval. And so by putting this on chain, you can just cut out all the forgery. If it says it came from this organization, then you know it came from this organization. And there's it cuts out all of the, the impersonation or forgery risks. Yeah, it also produces uh, a lot of more openness actually because you know when I have a food ingredients or a food like like a chocolate, and this chocolate is uh, then the, the chocolate is the claimer in our case, right? So the chocolate actually um, collects certificates. So I'm a low-fat chocolate, I'm a vegan chocolate, I'm a whatever chocolate. This information is then published, right? So because it is somehow it, it's it's there on the blockchain and. Uh, it's not really on the blockchain, it's hashed on the blockchain, but the, uh, but, but the, f uh, the food itself could uh, choose to publish all this information about itself. And so what, what it brings together a lot of databases which actually exist today. So a lot of information about uh, food ingredients is already exists today in the world. 
But those things are held in different databases and they're never collected with the chocolate itself. So this is what we actually produce. So we, we produce more data, more accessible data for the population in this case. Um, so for these testers, how, I mean, how do you trust them? So it seems like if, if we kind of focus on the identity application, if I'm an identity thief, trying to become an attester seems like the, the best thing possible. How do you prevent that from happening? You can be an attester. You can attest me anything. You can me. Uh, you can attest me that I have a driver's license, but probably no verifier out there in the world will accept your attestation. So uh, actually, you don't. You don't gain the trust in the system. You have to have the as you said before. You have to have the trust before. So if you, we, we're building uh, business models. We enable business models for people who already have trust. So the trust is generated outside the system. It's just transported to the system. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um, so if we go over to the tech side, um, you've been building on Substrate. Can you talk about, I guess you, you're a few years old, you started in 2016, right? What, was, what did you start with and then how did you end up with your current tech stack? Um, I mean, first we were um, doing a lot of research, right? I mean, in the beginning there was no, there was no technology involved per se. Uh, we were more, looking at our uh, ideas of incentivization, standardization, we were thinking about, oh, we want different uh, application developers to use the same schema, then we were looking into credentials, how can we do them, we wanted to hide data, we wanted to have different methods of um, having like trust chains, so I mean, you might you might trust an association, but I mean you will get the attest, I guess, from some employee of this association. So there needs to be a connection there, for example. Um, so we were going a little into, into a lot of different uh, directions and talking to a lot of different people. Um, and then we when when we decided to do the first uh, prototype or testnet, um, we were we were mainly thinking about. Um, um, Ethereum um, to, to make it, you know, just to make a prototype. But then we uh, met you guys here at Parity um, and we were talking about Substrate. And since we are, had all these concepts in our minds about how we uh, maybe do incentivization where we would need to, to incentivize people another way and we always disliked uh, that, that a user has to handle different uh, type of coins because we are also always very focused on use cases uh, and making it work nicely. We wanted to do our own thing, right? But I mean, building your own blockchain um, and uh, trying to establish it is, is, is not that easy, right? So Substrate really, really bridged the gap for us here uh, with the potential of becoming maybe a partner or Polkadot. Uh, with a technology where, where we are fully modular and can just uh, focus right now on runtime um, to to just develop like our so to speak our smart contracts, um, but already be on a tech stack which we could potentially really use later on um, to to build the mainnet on <coughs> if everything works out. Um, this was this was very exciting for us. Um, <coughs> so yeah, we built just the scratch. Uh, a little bit on smart contracts, but then shifted very early uh, to Substrate uh, and to Rust, uh, to the Basm runtime. Um, and yeah, we liked it so far very much. Yeah, I think you were one of the first teams to build on it. Mm, yeah, yeah, it was, was very early. It, it was, the, the, in, in the first um, discussions we had, 
uh, it was always like, yeah, documentation will be there in some weeks. <laughs> so we started like uh, really on the code basis and uh, didn't have a, a lot to work with. Uh, but I mean, the modules were there. Um, sure, it was still um, very rough um, to, to be handled. Like the DX uh, was not there yet. But uh, I mean, we could we could build everything we wanted to build, right? So this was a big success. And you mentioned in Polkadot, are you still hoping to integrate with that? Yes, we we, yeah. we are currently discussing uh, to work closer together with the Web3 Foundation, uh, which uh, seems to be fruitful for both sides, I hope, because uh, a credential system should be part actually of the ecosystem around Polkadot, which it makes sense for them, I would say. And uh, for us, it would definitely make sense to be a parachain because uh, building up your own network of uh, validators is uh, a pain in the ass and uh, you can save a lot of time and money <laughs> actually if you don't do that so uh, this is uh, this is something which is ongoing and not decided yet but uh, we're moving closer together like every week and <laughs> so it's uh, very probable that we will come to cooperation yeah yeah, yeah so what are the um, like we were talking about the interface earlier and you mentioned C types how generic are those can you create your own or do you have a, a library of C types to choose from you can create uh, your own completely. <clears throat> so how it works is uh, it's a JSON schema, and we have built um, um, a, a meta schema, uh, which just defines what you can what you can describe in in, in your in your C type. Um, but this is um, that we brought right now. So we wanted to keep the experimentation open, um, and yeah, you can you can basically build every data structure uh, you want with our JSON schema, uh, which also includes um, like things like address, uh, biometric stuff. Um, you can nest CTAS, I mean, we're still working on if this is all in, in part of our, in our incentivization mechanism, but um, yeah, you can do a lot of stuff with JSON schema. Yeah, so you mentioned being able to uh, conceal certain information. Have you looked into, or are you planning to implement some sort of zero-knowledge proof so that instead of revealing, uh, say, the temperature history of this product, you can just say yes or no, it was below this temperature all the time? We, we don't have it integrated yet, but uh, we're definitely um, looking at the technology um, um, and um, talking to a lot of people around this. We actually... Um, having other partners who are also just interested in that and uh, they are also talking to zero knowledge uh, people um, so yeah I mean we're looking into that direction um, we are also looking into um, other signature schemes and Patterson commitment and stuff like this and yeah but right now what we have is a simple um, conceal of information where you just um, uh, hash every attribute you have and build a root hash of that one uh, and just, just hide information, hide an attribute, just delete it uh, but you still have the hashes there so you can um, build a root hash still from every attribute you got and then only the hashes of the one you don't, you, you're not having uh, which works for most use cases very well. Yeah, it seems like having a, a zero knowledge proof or something, something around a zero knowledge proof would increase a lot of the applications that can be built on this mm -hmm. and I know like we don't have any zero knowledge modules in Substrate yet it's in our longer term roadmap but I know there are people in the community that are interested in in that technology and building on it 
So I was wondering if you had done any work or uh, how you see that playing out into your company's roadmap. I mean, yeah, we are um, doing research, right, in this in this direction. Uh, we we don't know f yet uh, how and if we will fully integrate it. Um, I guess I can't I can't say more about this, unfortunately, at the moment. Yeah. So uh, do you want to transition? We can talk a little bit about your plans for the future and what you want to do with Kilt in the second stage. Sure, Ingo. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So actually, all the things uh, that, that we're building now is uh, just only a foundation for the second stage, even though uh, it's, it turns out that even the first stage is obviously very interesting for a lot of industry partners right now, and uh, it's fully functional and, uh, and very nice that, that we build it. So I think this will bring us a lot of traction. Um, but the second stage is actually uh, the one that we're aiming at. Uh, the notion is uh, that uh, well, everybody knows DAOs and DAOs are, well, we had one and it didn't really succeed. And this has a lot of, uh, um, yeah, a lot of reasons actually. And one of the reasons is that DAOs are defi definitely software and software cannot really be checked by regulators. And uh, companies actually need regulators around them, which sounds a little bit crazy, but it is the case. Uh, if I have a company and uh, I invest money there or I invest work there, actually I want to live in a regulated environment, which uh, makes clear that I can pay some tax, but then I'm off the hook, uh, that I'm not going to end up somewhere in prison and stuff like that. So actually we need, to, uh, if we want virtual companies, we need to legalize them somehow and we have to put them closer to the regulators. Regulators on the other side will never be able to check a software if the software is really correctly working and uh, if the software can represent a virtualized company. So uh, what we're aiming to build is actually a, a factory for virtualized companies and um, it goes something like that. Uh, we will uh, ask regulators to, uh, to, uh, to one time uh, check the software uh, stage two killed and certify it or, or trust it that this will build new companies for them. And then if, uh, if someone comes and wants to build a virtual company, this company is not going to be programmed, but just configured on top of Kilt. So there's some things, for example, you can uh, put in there, like uh, uh, everybody who wants to invest into the company needs to have a KYC AML check by this and this and this entity and stuff like that. And uh, a company needs a tax number attached to it uh, from a regulator and before that it doesn't work. And uh, we use a lot of technology stuff from the TCR world there, but it's not really TCR, so we're not curating a list of the best restaurants in Berlin. We would rather curate a list of persons who can then certify, because it's a certification system again, who can, can then certify which is the best or which is one of the top 10 restaurants in Berlin. So we are rather not uh, have it, uh, not, not uh, curating the information, we are curating people who can decide if the information is true or not. Uh, and this is the business model which basically publishers do have, which we see companies do have, and a lot of other things. So you cannot build everything, every single possible company on top of those virtual companies we, we will offer, uh, but just a subset of those companies, but this is still a lot. 
And uh, th this is what we're aiming at. And uh, as you see, you need kill stage one to produce kill stage two. So, And is that an example? Like, so a regulated company would be on top of Kilt and then they could say, okay, we have this list of people or this list of other companies who can who are qualified to curate these lists, or would this be in the Kilt level protocol? It will be in the Kilt level protocol. It's, it's, uh, we will implement the TCR part, so uh, the, the curation part. The curators are those who hold the tokens of the TCR and who have the voting rights. So the voting rights will be used to curate the experts, so the people who actually do the work. And uh, this will be completely implemented on, in Kilt. But if you're talking about having many different applications built on Kilt, who's in this list? Anybody. Anybody can. Anybody can start a TCR. Right. Okay. So it's, it's just uh, it, it's just another uh, JavaScript call. Make TCR, <laughs> and and uh, you have to give a lot of parameters, and then Kilt produces a TCR uh, in the runtime. Okay, I was a little bit. Scared. I thought you meant there was. One TCR in Kilt, that's a oh, no, no, list. Definitely. No, 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 there will be it's hundreds more, of... It's, it's, more factory. It's, it's a factory for TCRs. Okay. So there will be hundreds of TCRs, so anybody can come and build a TCR and uh, give certain parameters to them. Of course, you can also build a TCR, which, uh, which is a, just a normal TCR, which is not linked to a text number and stuff like that. But then you're not in a regulated environment, and this is what companies probably don't want. Yeah, so this is like a regulatory foundation almost. So you said Kilt has been audited or approved in some way by yes. regulators, and then you can build your own application and have a, a tax number linked to your TCR right. in the protocol. But the application is then not programmed, it's just configured. And this is what, what makes the difference, because a regulator can check a configuration, but they cannot check a software. Right. This is where the big difference comes in. So if I have only 10, 20 parameters, uh, I can, as a regulator, check them and check, okay, is every, anybody who wants to invest required to have a KYC AML? And this is checked, yes, then that's probably more, it's more probable that you get the tax number than if you don't do that. Sure, but this is, since your protocol is kind of open, you could decide to make a TCR without any, you could. without anything around it, just however you want. Yeah. Um, and then how does geography play into this? Is it, are you like regulated in Germany, in Europe, um, or do you plan to get approval from multiple different jurisdictions so that people can build on it? Well, basically we are a protocol and a protocol gets a approval where it gets the protocol. Uh, we're very closely working uh, together with the, uh, with the German government. We are, we are in Germany, we are a German entity. And uh, so, uh, and we work uh, with uh, with the politicians for for one and a half years now, and uh, and we think that we are on a very good way to get uh, things regulated in a um, in a positive way, not not in a in a strict but positive way in this country, um, and uh, of course, but of course, this system is completely open to other jurisdictions, and uh, we have talked to people from other jurisdictions as well, and there's some interest because uh, jurisdictions obviously notice that the whole virtual company thing is the next step. Well, right now we are in the phase where everybody's tokenizing assets, you might have noticed, uh, and when the regulators are ready to tokenize assets, they have understood that there can be value uh, actually on put on a blockchain, and the next step which comes after after that is that people will ask okay how can i virtualize a company basically so if i can virtualize the shares of a company why can't i regular why can't i virtualize the whole company and uh, when we go to this step then it becomes 
very interesting for jurisdictions actually because this is a part where there was a new tax inflow into a jurisdiction because companies will be there and those companies will be willing to pay tax. So uh, jurisdictions are actually very much interested in getting in talks with us there because this, this will be, a, uh, I think, a whole new kind of economy which is popping up there. And uh, the first mover will probably have the most companies. <laughs> so this is uh, why everybody's really interested in that. Sure. And so you guys have a test net now. Uh, where, where do you see yourselves on your road to Kilt version 1 and then how long do you think I know uh, forecasts are always kind of, uh, you know, one to 20 years tend to think, but... Uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I think we should not say that because we, uh, we will start a, a private sale in a couple of weeks and um, I think well, the, the legal people wouldn't allow us to answer that question. <laughs> Fair enough. I, 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 I can just say, I mean, what we have right now is um, the... It's, it's fully fully functional what we imagined uh, about the claiming attestations, verification process, sending messages, encrypting them, all the signatures, uh, the schema, uh, and uh, three different methods of generating trust. Uh, and this can be already used. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask where people can get your information and follow you. Yeah, go to kilt.io. Uh, github.com slash kilt protocol. That's K I L T. Yes. And kilt protocol together. Uh, yeah, and there you can see uh, on GitHub we have the SDK, the demo client, everything launched. And on kilt.io you get the domains for our telemetry, our chain explorer, our, uh, our demo client. Uh, yeah, everything you need. All right, great. Uh, go check it out. Ingo and Timo, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter.